My name is Matt, and this is Sip of Success. Hey guys, Mac is again not on today. She was feeling a little under the weather, so it's just going to be me on the podcast today. But again, we're following along with our professor series, so just talking with USC professors and staff members to talk about what their responses to everything going virtual and online and obstacles that they faced. And today I have a, a great guest that I'm really excited to have on today. Um, so I'll let him introduce himself, but Dr. Ostergaard, if you want to take it from here. Hey, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so sorry to hear that your partner uh, is uh, not feeling well, and, uh, but I, I appreciate you having me on today for sure. Yeah, thank you. And Dr. Ostergaard, if you just want to go and give a little bit about yourself, what classes you're currently teaching, um, and a little bit about your background, and also maybe how you ended up at USC and your favorite quarantine activity so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no short order there. So no problem. So uh, just by way of background, I uh, went to the United States Coast Guard Academy as an undergrad. Uh, did my four years there uh, in the Coast Guard. I had time to do quite a bit of uh, stuff around the world uh, on ships and operations, some stuff with helicopters and Chinese slave ship in the South Pacific and some other activities, uh, counter narcotics off Mexico, that sort of thing, across the Atlantic on a sailing ship. And I went left there to my first tour of duty, which was in Seattle, Washington. I went to a uh, large 378-foot uh, cutter. We had a couple hundred people on board uh, that patrolled the Pacific. And we went down through the Panama Canal and did the embargo, UN embargo against Haiti and the eventual invasion of Haiti in 94. And I worked with the Colombians and the Jamaicans doing counter-narcotics, uh, as well as up to Alaska doing uh, Aleutian chain kind of stuff and down to the South Pacific. We actually pulled in a Pongo Pongo more than we pulled into uh, Seattle when I was on that ship. And a year and a half after being there, I uh, got orders to go to a Coast Guard cutter in Kauai, Hawaii. The ship had run aground, and they were looking for a commanding officer to come in and take over. The previous CO, commanding officer, uh, was being court-martialed out of the Coast Guard, and uh, I became the youngest captain in the Coast Guard at that time. I was 22, 23. So I ended up in Kauai, Hawaii, um, captain of a ship and a small boat station out there. So I had about 23 people in my crew and our job was basically every two weeks, we would do a two week patrol down through the Island chain, hitting all the islands, uh, doing mostly counter narcotics, uh, some human smuggling and that kind of stuff, uh, environmental protection and that sort of thing. So did that for two and a half years. Uh, that was a pretty cool tour. We rescued about and helped about 250 people, assisted them, uh, saved their lives, and then did about 600 law enforcement cases while I was there, ranging from homicide and, and everything else. So pretty interesting cases. Went from there to did a payback tour in Atlantic Area Headquarters, which is in Portsmouth, Virginia. And I had a chance while I was there for about two years. I became the budget manager for the fleet, which I originally did kind of kicking and screaming, not wanting to leave the ship. But of course, probably the best thing I could have done as far as understanding where the money goes. So I managed the budget uh, for the entire Atlantic fleet for, again, two years. And I was thinking about getting out of the Coast Guard. My wife had just graduated from law school and was starting a job. And um, as I was putting my papers in to get out, I got a call from an admiral up in D.C. And he asked me to come up and actually um, help stand up this new um, executive branch liaison office, a part of strategic communications for the Coast Guard. So I had a chance to go to D.C. for a year. My last year in the Coast Guard, I basically wore a suit instead of a uniform. And spent a lot of time uh, both between the White House and Capitol Hill and, and other D.C.-oriented things on behalf of the Coast Guard. And so I got out of the Coast Guard, 
September 1st of 2001. Uh, Ten days later, I was finishing a degree at the time, my first master's, which was a joint Naval War College Georgetown program. Um, got out 10 days after I got out, I heard the airplane actually come in and hit the Pentagon that day. So the master's was a national security master's degree. I was actually in a class on a uh, Mao Zedong reading Mao Zedong's guerrilla warfare. When I heard the airplane hit, it was about a mile from the Pentagon. So unfortunately my little niche that was, I thought was going to be counterterrorism became, you know, unfortunately more than that. Uh, and I found myself that day working my way back across DC with the smoke coming out of the Pentagon put my uniform back on, reported back to headquarters as a reserve officer uh, in the Coast Guard. So I did that for a little while, and eventually I had an opportunity to go work for, um, I got accepted to Harvard for a second master's degree in public administration. At the same time, I got an offer from one of the agencies in D.C. that deal with intelligence work. At the same time, I got a call from Jeb Bush's office to become his Homeland Security uh, liaison. So I ended up uh, punting Harvard and said I would come back to them in a year or two. And I went to work. For, I told the agency that I couldn't do it at that time. And I went to work for Jeb Bush's office. So his brother was in the White House at the time. It seems interesting work. It was a great group of people to work with. Exciting. So I did that. Um, it was the early days after 9-11 still. So a lot of the helping define what the role of states would be, what the role of the private sector was in Homeland Security is a pretty fascinating time, I think, to be there. And I did all of that and then decided uh, with a growing family to um, go ahead and knock out that second master's degree. I figured it wouldn't get any easier. So I went up to Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I got a, a master's of public administration. But while I was there, the White House called and asked me to come back down uh, to D.C. to interview for a job with the Homeland Security Department that was just being stood up. And so I did that, uh, and we were talking to them about a couple jobs, uh, something along the lines of like deputy assistant secretary for infrastructure protection or something like that. Uh, and I got back down there and a job opened up opportunity to do the executive director for the Homeland Security Advisory Council. So I ran that uh, for a couple of years and that program, uh, we looked at really strategic policy stuff. So really the next 25 years, what would the department have to do? How is it set up? Again, we worked on some major projects. How do you prevent weapons of mass destruction? from uh, entering the United States, being smuggled in and used against us, what's the role of the private sector, uh, intelligence sharing, and a bunch of different things like that. So did that for a while, and I realized at some point in there, um, with three kids, uh, young children at home, and my wife, and I said I wanted to spend a little more time with them rather than doing seven days a week, 20-hour uh, days sometimes kind of thing. So I decided to take a break from federal service after 17 years, and I got out and did um, economic business development, essentially. I worked for a, uh, a firm uh, for a couple of months and then started my own firm, consulting firm doing international business development. So with that, uh, all over the world, uh, primarily, I mean, primarily South Asia, a lot of time in India, I uh, was in Korea, uh, parts of China, Australia, New Zealand, doing international business development uh, and consulting. I did that for several years and realized after some time period that I really hadn't seen much of my family of all the travel I was doing. Uh, at this point, I've been up to, I've worked in about 77 countries around the world, uh, a lot of time away from home, and I decided to take a sabbatical. So we packed up our things in Washington, D.C. after eight years, moved back home toward Western North Carolina, where we bought an organic, well, we bought a farm and turned it into an organic cattle ranch. And we raised uh, cattle, rabbits for meat, and also uh, bees for honey, of course, chickens for meat, and uh, 
eggs uh, and some blackberries. Did that for a while. And uh, while I was there, I got an offer to come work at the university or the, uh, excuse me, Western Carolina University. The chancellor invited me over. And so I um, became a dual appointment there teaching both criminal justice uh, as well as international business for them. And I started running the economic development think tank for Western North Carolina called the Institute for the Economy and the Future, which is fairly interesting, actually very interesting work at the time, uh, trying to bring economic development into the mountains and having from there originally, it was very rewarding, I think, to do that for a while. And um, did that in 2010, I uh, was, was talked to about running for Congress, 11th District of North Carolina. So I just started kind of an exploratory just to do a couple speeches and get out in the trail a little bit, did some initial polling to see what it looked like and started that process. And literally, um, we were on the way to the Federal Election Commission to file uh, my paperwork for that. My wife and I had a long heart-to-heart talk and realized that, in fact, uh, my goal at the time was to be a father and a husband, more so than being in politics at that point. So I decided to withdraw from that and spend some time uh, really focusing on my family. And I looked around, and um, we had moved a lot, obviously. I mean, I you know, 13 states or whatever in, in 25 years. So uh, we decided to, you know, I really enjoyed teaching. I, I liked it, especially the international business part of it. And my years of doing international business as a consultant, owning my own firm doing it. Uh, so I looked around for international business program. And of course, University of South Carolina has the best, uh, undoubtedly, in the world, and um, as well as the PhD part of that. And so I came down and talked to the good folks here. And um, they allowed me to join the program. And that's how I ended up at USC in 2010. So I joined as a uh, PhD student. 2010, um, but I started teaching a little bit my first semester, uh, just visiting classes. And then by my second semester, uh, I started teaching a couple classes uh, and then became eventually, I've been teaching the whole time. So I've really been teaching here since January of 2011. 2016, I finally finished my degree. The dissertation was the long-term impact of terrorism on international business. And I looked at seaports and seaport security in particular as a case study. And, uh, and that's it, man. I've been, uh, I, for 2012 to 2015, I had the uh, opportunity to run the Masters of International Business program, which I love. Happy to talk about that as well, if you want me to, but awesome program there. Uh, and I teach. So I teach full-time. Um, I te- I'm a clinical uh, faculty. Uh, just p- personal reasons. Had no interest in doing a tenure-track position, so I'm clinical faculty which allows me to do a lot of consulting still on the outside. And so I still do a lot of work around the world. I was in about 20 some countries last year alone. And, uh, but I teach full time. So I teach uh, usually three classes a semester. Uh, some of those classes are the, the courses uh, in the spring now is the core course for international business majors that all international business majors take. So I teach about a little less than half of those students. Uh, and that's always Great, good students are challenging, so that's a lot of fun. I've taught that course now a lot of times, like 26, 27 times. And I, uh, I also teach, have the, I feel very, very fortunate to be here and be part of this team, so I teach that. Uh, after I graduated, they asked me to stay on board, and I'm very thankful for that as well, because I do enjoy the people I work with. And, uh, and the students are great, so I teach a course uh, for the finance department right now uh, on security and risk management. Uh, and looks at terrorism and hostage taking and all kinds of issues like that. Actually, quarantine is one of the things we used to cover. And I also teach a course called Economic Globalization, which is really kind of an um, advanced upper-level course, uh, a multidisciplinary approach uh, to international business. But we look, use uh, text from uh, and readings 
international relations, political science, uh, psychology, sociology, and so on. And, uh, and then I also teach a course or two uh, for the Honors College now and then as well. So uh, perhaps more than you wanted, Matt, but uh, that's the background anyway, buddy. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I always wondered how you ended up in Columbia, South Carolina. So uh, You're not the only one. Yeah. But I'm, ha I'm happy that I am, trust me. Yeah, and I do know one thing that you left out, and I definitely want to talk about today is the group that you run on campus with the International Business Program. So I know you run the IB Student Outreach Group which has definitely not taken a back seat um, during this whole quarantine and virtual uh, time right now. But what, are, what do you do in that group? And if you could just describe to the listeners like what that is um, and how you run it, not necessarily not the virtual side, but you know, when we're back on campus, what the yeah, group sure. normally looks like. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's actually it's just an awesome program because the participants that are, despite myself, man, it's an awesome program. Uh, the students are great. We, um, with the international business program, uh, we have uh, a lot of different cohorts within the program. So we've got students that are here for seven semesters and spend one semester overseas. We have other cohorts, for example, the IBEA cohort, we call it. Um, those students spend a semester abroad, for example, in Mannheim, Germany, another semester in Singapore, another semester in Brazil. You know, so three of their eight semesters are spent overseas and in all these different combinations of cohorts. And one of the things we wanted to make sure that we were able to do for these students is to really create a sense of belonging to USC, to the Moore School, uh, to the greater Gamecock community, if you will. Um, and so that, that, that's the kind of our primary function is building community within this group of people that are all kind of in different phases. So we incorporate into that all, all um, international business students. That includes uh, freshmen and sophomores that may be pre-IB, but have designated that. So those students, uh, we bring in the Masters of International Business students as well. All of the exchange students at the Moore School are welcome to join us as well. So foreign students that enroll at the Moore School, as well as all of our alumni. And so we put together events. Um, we've been doing this now for three years. We do about 25 events a year. And it's all designed to bring those students together. And not only students, but alumni. Uh, and then, of course, the staff and faculty, just to really create a sense of community uh, within the larger um, sphere in which we all operate that is USC. And so what, what does that actually mean? So once a month, uh, we do, and our events are usually limited to that group um, for the most part, because uh, there's enough students there, of course, to draw from. So we do, once a month, a large event. I say a large event. So that's an event that um, usually involves buses and going somewhere. So in September, we do a camp out. So for example, last September, we took more than 100 students camping out to a location. Uh, there wasn't cell phone service, which is unique for a lot of folks because they've never been outside of cell phone range. Yeah. But we, I mean, you can imagine, right? Yeah. The withdrawal, but, uh, but in a good way. So we went camping. We did um, three days, uh, two nights. Uh, we actually used some facilities out at a, um, a scout camp at the West End of Lake uh, Murray. So we did uh, archery, uh, hiking. Uh, I mean, it, 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 we kind of leave it loose. Like there's opportunity, there's things for them to do, but we don't fill every minute because we want them to be able to coalesce as a group. I mean, that's the main thing, right? Uh, so we do all the meals over the open fire, for example. And so breakfasts, uh, we get in the, the students all divide up into different teams. And of course, uh, we mix everybody up so that it's not just people that know each other. So 
you may have a master's student and a, and a senior and a sophomore and a foreign exchange student and an alumni working on breakfast together or something like that. And so we make breakfast for 120 people over the open fire. Uh, this year, I think we made like biscuits and gravy, potatoes, scrambled eggs, you know, from, I mean, just a huge smorgasbord, if you will, but again, over the fire, which really teaches people some basics as well, right? Yeah. Uh, we had a swim, we did swim times, so we had a swim hole open. At nighttime, we had a huge bonfire, a huge bonfire, you know, probably 15 feet tall at one point. Um, everybody sat around and we did s'mores and some people brought guitars and it was just, it's just a cool opportunity to get to know people outside of campus, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely think, I think that's one of the reasons why obviously, you know, the IB programs, number one is obviously great academics and great learning and great programs, but also you have that sense of community as well, which is a really great opportunity. But I do know, obviously, with everything going virtual, it is kind of hard to still create that community, but I think you've done a really good job, and I've seen all the events that you've been throwing, but what are some things that you've been doing with, and I know you've had a lot of great turnout, but at the events that you've been doing virtually, but what are some of the things you've been doing right now with everything being, you know, online and everyone being away from each other? Yeah, well, that's a, it's a great question, uh, Matt, because it's a real challenge, right? I mean, here we are now, everyone's, of course, blown to the wind with this coronavirus. And so we've got, even in the, in the, the four courses I taught this spring, we've got students that are literally all over the world and that went home back to their respective countries. So I think I've got like 35 different countries that we're we've, you know, trying to work with as well, timelines and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, we, we've been trying to do a lot of different kinds of events because you know, not everybody likes the same thing, obviously, and it's obvious, but so yeah. we've done a speaker series and that's turned out great. Uh, Tuesday nights at eight o'clock and we're consistent with the time. Uh, we brought in several speakers. So our first speaker, as uh, a gentleman who is a, runs a company, chairman of a board for a company that's created a, uh, or working on creating a uh, vaccine for coronavirus. So he got to talk to us and it was a really open, brutal, really conversation about the business of coronavirus, which was fascinating, I think. Um, we had another speaker who was President Trump's former uh, Homeland Security Advisor, uh, Rear Admiral Doug Fears. He did a great job talking to us about policy and strategy and how it works. And so, again, speakers right it, uh, we did another night too for example um, I think this was a great one uh, two weeks ago we had about 12 alumni volunteer so we all met up on and on all these are through zoom by the way I'm not a zoom salesman or anything but we've been using yeah. zoom, so mm -hmm. um, it's been great for us we had 12 alumni uh, come in they provided their bios ahead of time so all the students got to go on our Facebook group to look at the bios so they knew who was gonna be there each one of the participating uh, alums spoke for, you know, maybe two minutes or so at the beginning, three minutes, just to, again, introduce themselves and what they're willing to talk about. And then we pushed them out into the various Zoom rooms. So they had private rooms, uh, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then all the students that were there, uh, we pushed them. They got to decide who they wanted to go talk to. And then as many times they wanted to, they could come back to the main room and we'd push them out into other alums that they wanted to talk to. So some of the students came with a list of people and that they wanted to talk to, and they were able over the course of you know, that event we scheduled for an hour and we ended up going about two and a half hours, I think, oh, wow. only because the alumni were happy to participate. Mm -hmm. um, and that was awesome on their part. And so this, every student that was there got to talk to every alumni they wanted to for as long as they wanted to. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Cool event, right? Yeah, and I know you've also been doing some other, some other fun things. I know you've been doing like happy hours with students just to have conversations with, again, alumni as well, which is awesome. But I definitely think you've been 
doing a really good job at making sure you're keeping your students active and continuing that, you know, that growth outside of the classroom, which is awesome in terms of, you know, using your technology at your disposal for sure. Yeah. Well, um, and I, and thanks oh, for that, man. Thank yeah, you. No problem. Um, but I did want to ask you, so I know your class, the classes that you teach, especially your, you know, your main courses in the international business program are really conversational. How have you handled that being, you know, online? Obviously we have Zoom, but still it's, it's hard when you're, everyone's just on a screen looking at each other. How have you been able to facilitate conversations when you have with a, you know, a 30 to 40 person class, uh, you know, through a screen? Yeah, well, then you, it's a great point because you nailed it, right? It's really challenging. So normally the class is very much Socratic style, calling on people, cold calling on people, but then having people jump in and we do a lot of debates back and forth. So the, the class is really uh, heavily dependent on people talking to each other, for example. Um, and what we've done, and, and each time we've done a class, I think we're learning as we go, right? So I think we'll have it nailed down by the time the semester's done, of course. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so each time we're learning. Uh, and so what we've done is, and what we've kind of come around to, and I think the students, I hope, would agree because I, we keep soliciting feedback from them each class. So all the classes are live. We've, we've kept nothing different as far as that goes. All the presentations that we would have done normally, we've kept all of that stuff absolutely normal. Uh, so we haven't, I haven't changed any of that. So the same stuff you would have gotten in my classroom at the Moore School uh, is the same kinds of, the same material, same information. The only real difference is I'm, I'm a kind of an anti-PowerPoint guy. I hate PowerPoint, I'm sorry to yeah. say. Um, but I've been forced to use a little more PowerPoint than I normally would. But other than that, uh, the whole class is interactive. And so the students understand the value of the readings. And so I will say we usually have, I'd like to think about 100% of the students do 100% of the reading every time. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been able to maintain that for the most part. And so the students come together in the classroom. And so we, there's a little bit of lecture, but it's also a lot of code calling that happens. Everybody has their video on the whole time. Uh, and then what we've deduced is because there's so many people, it is a little more, it is, well, not little, it's a lot harder to have a kind of a dynamic conversation sometimes. Mm -hmm, for sure. And what we have deduced then is we, we break it up. So I'll ask a big question, for example, and normally in class, the students would respond to that question. A big question, you know, so what is the role of the firm? And, then, and so instead of trying to do that as a group, we've found that splitting up into groups of, say, four or five students, giving them three or four minutes, so we, we push them out into the side rooms. They have a chance to talk amongst each other, to discuss. They've all done the readings, so they're all up to speed on that. Uh, and so then they kind of talk through the question. And then as a professor, I'll visit those small rooms. But really, I mean, it, the, the students are amazing, right? I mean, despite myself, the students are amazing. So. Mm -hmm. For they sure, yeah. get a chance to talk and to, to really consider these things. And then we bring them back into the main room and then we kind of pick up from there. And so then it continues. And so over the course of a class like yesterday, hour and 15 minute class, we did three, I think three breakout sessions, each one for about four or five minutes. So 15 minutes of the class, let's say a little less is in these small groups where they're discussing and talking and then interspersed then is some presentation and some other. So, it, it's been very interactive, um, at least from my perspective, man. I, I would say we're probably hitting about 95% uh, of the experience we would have gotten in the classroom we're able to achieve right now online, from my perspective. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, and, and, uh, and it's because of the quality. I mean, look, USC has amazing students, right? I mean, we really do. So 
Mm-hmm. They've been flexible. They've been willing to to put the effort in. And it's, I, I really attribute the success of this to them. I mean, I'm, I'm merely a bystander. They're the ones that are making this happen for us. So it's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know I've been asking everyone this, and I know you, you especially really, really love the interactive and being in person, but could you see any of your classes being moved to fully online courses at all? Or do you still see, you know, I, obviously there's a certain value with being in a classroom with certain other, with a bunch of other students, but do you see the possibility of possibly having any of your courses online in the future? Yeah. So that is an awesome question. And I think an addendum to that, if I may, is how is this going to change how the world does business right in the future? Because undoubtedly, I think there's a lot of people being exposed to technology, like what I'm describing, who never would have been otherwise. So it certainly opens up for new possibilities there. So I would never say never, because I think there's probably a lot of business lines to pursue uh, that could be beneficial both for the university and also students that are far afield. You know, we already do, I think, an amazing job of this already through like our PMBA program. I mean, that program is awesome, professional MBA. Mm-hmm. And those students, for the most part, are taught remotely. So we do some of that already. You know, my personal preference is I do like being in the classroom. I like the, the tactile feel of a classroom, if, if there's such yeah. a thing as that. Um, I prefer that. I mean, look, in times of crisis, I think everybody has stepped up and has done work that's amazing. Right? Thank goodness USC had the vision not to cancel classes completely, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think our students oh, yeah, have been awesome. at a real detriment, deficit. But this, this, has, this has been, I think, given the circumstances, I think it's been, I mean, I couldn't ask for more right now. I'm extremely pleased with how this has turned out. I'll be very honest with you. Yeah, and I definitely think it comes at a, a perfect time when we have the technology to be able to do classes online and still have, Absolutely. you know, perfect um, attendance and things like that. But one thing I wanted to ask you, cause I know you are in the international business field and you've been through numerous degrees in schooling, but do you see possibilities in the future of with students having to miss out on being in the classroom from, you know, young, and I know you have kids yourself, but from young kids in elementary middle school, all the way through people seeking professional degrees from, you know, med students, law students, like regular undergrad college students. Do you think that this is going to be a generation that has to catch up on schooling in certain aspects, especially when you have um, certain majors and degrees such as, you know, nursing, medical, things like that, that are very hands-on. And then also down to like young students that it's hard to teach a kindergartner over, you know, online. Do you think that there's going to be in the next 20, 30 years and down the road, a generation that has gaps in learning because of this that are having to play catch up? Yeah, that's actually, I think, a very genuine and legitimate concern. But I would say this, is that if you look across USC right now, and again, this is not my purview, but my understanding is, is that like our nursing students, some of them are now on the front lines of this thing, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. they're out there right now doing this and helping. That's incredible. I mean, in terms of experience, think about these selfless students that we have at USC who are out there, even though they're students, who are already putting themselves in harm way to help other people with the coronavirus. That's amazing stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in terms of a loss, I, I don't think there'll be any kind of a loss. I mean, there'll be a short term, maybe a sense of one temporarily, but this is a global phenomenon that's affecting every single person on the planet at the same time. Right. When was the yeah. last time we've ever had something like that? If we ever have, 
Mm-hmm. But you talk to people across the board, every single person who's a senior in high school right now or whatever the equivalent is across the world is experiencing the same thing, right? The loss of kind of closure to high school, the loss of time with friends, maybe they're missing their prom or, but that's a shared experience globally. Mm-hmm. And I have to think that in the long run, right, whatever offset there is to people who have quote unquote lost some couple months of education, there's a whole nother thing that's happening right now. And that is, I think this sense of you know, the global, the global nature of this, I mean, I think it's bringing people together. I also think it's simplifying people's lives a little bit. And you know, I have three children, Matt, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that normally by now at this time of the school year, they're all in varsity sports. They're all heavily engaged in clubs. You know, we do our best to see each other for a meal each night, but that gets very difficult, right? I mean, yeah. I'll be honest, but right now, I mean, God help the people who are on the front lines of coronavirus. And I, I, we thank them and pray for them every day mm-hmm. and, and wish them the best. But for our family, we've been, you know, somewhat isolated at per direction. And, uh, and it's, it's actually allowed us as a family to have three meals a day together, man. And I, you know, so it, are some things lost? Uh, I, I think there's going to be a trade-off and I'm not sure that I would call it a, a net negative in the long run, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and, and plus don't forget, and uh, my family homeschooled for the first um, eight years or so with my children in elementary school. And so we got to see kind of firsthand the benefits of that. There's a lot of kids right now out there who, sure, they may not be getting the same formal instruction, but sometimes there's a lot of other things to learn as well. Just being in the backyard, you know, climbing a tree, getting dirty. I mean, I have a young, I have a middle, my middle child is very interested in doing biology someday. Mm-hmm. And he has actually gone out and started a whole garden in our yard. Normally, oh, wow. this is the first yeah. summer in 12 years I'll be home for the summer, not international. So, you know, and so I, I only say that to illustrate, I think, what you asked. And that is, are some people going to lose some things? Yes, but I think those who want to seek it out, they're going to have an opportunity to learn things because they've been given this gift of time, which can be very elusive. And those that are taking advantage of that, I think will probably even learn more if I can be so bold as to, as to say that. Yeah, for sure. And I know I, going off the homeschool thing, I know one thing that I didn't at my high school is we did virtual days every semester to prepare mm-hmm. for, you know, they always said like prepare for like if there was a tornado and we had to cancel school or snow, but a lot of times it was kind of like, well, you wouldn't have electricity if that happens. Mm-hmm. But obviously something like this came, came around. So a lot of students at, from my high school that either left or that are there now, like my little brother are prepared for like the whole virtual experience. But do you right. see to a lot of students eventually, maybe younger students, parents moving their kids to doing homeschool just because they enjoy being around their kids so much or possibly schools doing like a hybrid version of doing part online, part in person. Yeah. That, look, I, I, in the in the long run, right? I mean, this kind of technology. Well, let me give you an example from what I plan to do next year, right? Let's just assume for a moment, if we can, that this is all done and we're back to quote unquote normal, right? Whatever normal is. Yeah. I will. I, I fully intend, and this is at the request of my students who are already participating. I am going to actually integrate. I still be in the classroom, of course, but I'm actually going to integrate probably a monthly speaker into my classroom in the evenings using Zoom. And that will just become part of my class because I'm able to zoom in, you know, sp- my former classmates from all over the world, from Harvard and wherever. I mean, they're able to jump online. It's not a big commitment to them. They don't have to fly to South Carolina. 
but I can get them on Zoom. They can give us an hour, hour and a half of their time. And so it gives my students a chance to you know, bring people into the class. And so there are definitely going to be some changes, I think, resulting from this, at least for me as a professor, that I think will enrich the experience for my students in the long run, right? Yeah. Uh, and we don't have to wait 30 years to achieve that. I'm gonna, I plan to do that as early as this fall, assuming we're back to normal again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's always one thing that I've always thought of is, you know, you have speakers that you want to come speak to, you know, student groups. And it's like, you don't want them to have to come all the way to Columbia. But I think now you're going to see a lot of, you know, opportunities like that, like you're speaking about on campus when we do return with just using, you know, video technology. I think people are going to be so comfortable with it. It'll just be like an average thing that we do all the time in terms of, you know, extracurriculars that we have available. Yeah, it, it's awesome, right? And I think what's cool, and this is something I think is a strength of USC. Look, USC, I think, is an amazing university. And, and I'm not just saying that. I mean, I'm here. I've been here for 10 years because I believe that. And actually, mm-hmm. probably despite, despite me, it's amazing. But it, it is an amazing place. I think it's unique. I think the student body is unique. I think the administration over the years. Uh, I mean, even with this crisis has proven to be very flexible as a professor. I mean, I've been given whatever I need to make this is a success and I appreciate the, the ability to do that. And that's where I think going forward, um, we have a student body, I think that kind of rolls with it. You know, there's not a lot of whiners out there. I mean, you hear these stories from other schools maybe, but not, not mm-hmm. USC. I'm not Gamecocks, man. I mean, they're flexible and they yeah. are, they're good. And that's where I think in the long run, right. I mean, as we look at this and this thing, and this will be done, right. This too shall pass. And it always does. Mm-hmm. And then we look at, you know, what are the benefits we gain from this? And that's where I think a lot of things will, not a lot of big things, but there will definitely be minor changes to start with. For example, incorporating virtual guest speakers often, right? And that these alumni nights that we're doing, you know what? Uh, I fully intend to continue for my IB community. We're going to keep doing these alumni nights and these happy hours because it's a great way to get people engaged. Now, not with the same frequency we have now. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we have the luxury of, not luxury, but everyone's at home, it's quarantine. Yeah, just sitting around. But to do it often enough, right? And, and, I, and I'll say this too, man, if I may. Like, I think that the cool thing about USC is its flexibility. And I think what always amazes about USC is its ability to continuously kind of renew itself. And you know, this is not a place that's stagnant. This is not a place that sits back and rests on what it did yesterday. But we're constantly renewing ourselves. And I, and I in my own program, I've, I've been in your national business program here for 10 years, and I've seen multiple iterations of that program over the years, and every iteration, it gets better and better and better, and that's the idea of this constant improvement, and I think USC, frankly, I think embraces that, right? Mm-hmm, so sure. yeah. it's cool, and, and my son, I have, my oldest son is a senior. He decided a couple of days ago, he has told USC he's accepted the offer to the Honors College, and I'm very proud to say that my own son is choosing to go to USC um, in the fall, right? I mean, oh, it's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so you know? be, well, that'll be nice. Does he, oh is he excited to see you on campus? Or well, I, I think he'll you? try to avoid me as much as possible, yeah. as I hope he does, right? I mean, he should. I, I definitely want there to be separation for his sake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, really, right? The last thing he needs is me hanging around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for him, he's been around this for 10 years and it would really put him over the edge, I think, in terms of USC. And, and he had a full ride, actually, at another um, private university, for example, in South Carolina. It actually would have been cheaper for him to go to a private university. They, they've given Oh, wow. Ride. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he sees the value that USC offers, and I think it does. 
and the quality of the students uh, and, the, and the professors over the years that he's gotten to know, and even the staff for that matter. You know, I mean, it's a, I think it's a brave new world for everybody. So it's interesting for me as a professor, because I'm also seeing, you know, him go through the end of his senior year in high school and all of the, what coronavirus has done to that. And now, of course, the uncertainty with what the fall brings. And I'm kind of watching him process this as, a, as an incoming future freshman. How is this going to impact his college experience? And it's, it's been fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And I think one, one other question I have for you is more what advice do you give other professors, also student org leaders, or any other groups on campus? Because I know you've obviously been keeping your students really active. But what tips and advice do you give them to in, continue to give students the enrichment that you're giving yours outside of the classroom space as well? Yeah, that, that's a great question, man. Let me answer that twofold. One, um, I definitely have a lot more to learn from other people than, than I have to offer them, that's for sure. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of people doing a lot of different kinds of things on campus. Um, and I would never to pretend that I know more than anybody else, that's for sure. But what I would say is, is first of all, you have to play to your strengths, right? So not everybody wants to do everything. So you got to figure out what you're willing to do. And, um, and the old movie adage that said, if you build it, they will come. You know, we've had a, an amazing opportunity. I think, uh, the good folks over at Maxi house, for example, uh, have partnered with us. So we were going to start doing language, virtual language tables at nighttime and bring our students in one night a week so they could practice their language skills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we realized, of course, that Maxi House does the same thing. And so we were able to partner with them. And I'm very thankful for that because uh, instead of them doing something and us doing something separately, we've combined our efforts. And so we do these language tables now uh, that actually you know, anybody's interested to join. I can, I can show them how. Uh, it's yeah. for a couple more weeks until the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. But that has brought together everyone who normally does language tables at Maxi House plus our international business students. Um, and, you know, we had, I think we did it last night at uh, 8 p.m. on Thursdays. We had, I think, 12 different languages uh, in being spoken last night in 12 different Zoom rooms. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I'm sure you're seeing a lot of students come out to events like that. Right. And that's cool. And, that, and that, that's the one thing we've been doing that we definitely open that up. So you know, what can other people do? You know, I think, I think this kind of technology allows us to reach beyond our normal um, constituent base, probably a little bit easier than it would be normally even, right? Because it's all virtual. And so having kind of partnerships across campus, and we're definitely looking at a couple other programs. Um, I was talking to a bunch of students the other day from the global studies about how to incorporate some of them and some of the stuff we're doing. You know, so I, I think this kind of stuff is also very conducive to, collaboration across campus and again i think one of the strengths of usc is that people are let let me say this to me one of the greatest strengths of usc is is the is the capacity for failure And, and and what do i mean by that i mean that people don't mind people trying things and if they don't work it's okay we learn from it and we move on does that make sense yeah no i think that's for sure i think the students especially are up for that with everything I know students across campus are so involved and I think that's one thing that makes our university so different is how active our campus is compared to others Um, and you know again like you're saying I don't just say that either but I definitely see that to my friends who go to other big universities and to the small community at USC for sure I think 
helps with that collaboration aspect as well, but especially right now. Yeah, and I, I tell you, it was very heartwarming to me. Um, I think it was last week or the week before. I, you know, I'm sorry, it's all kind of blending now with this whole corona thing. Yeah. But at some point in the recent last couple of weeks, uh, USC put out a video. Uh, did you see it where a bunch of different faculty were saying and staff were saying we're all in this together? Did, did you see that video? Uh, I didn't. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah. So you, you got to check it out, man. It, it, it's and even link give it a link to your your listeners. It's um yeah. USC put it out, and they actually have a. They, they went out to faculty and staff and said, "Hey, could you do a quick thirty second soundbite?" Um, and and that, we didn't know what they were gonna do with it. But they, they put it together in this awesome video. And the whole intent of the video, I mean, I think it's cool, is you see, I'm not sure, maybe 15, 20, 25 people from across campus who are saying, look, we're all in this together. We're all Gamecocks. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and to me, it's that whole sentiment that even though we're a big school, it, it's still a family, right? And, and yeah. there's sub-families within the family, uh, and there's communities within the community. But overall, it's an amazing community that we're part of. Again, I feel very blessed to be part of this community. And in a time like coronavirus, I think that every student, at least I hope they recognize that that community is there for them to help them in any way possible. And, and that's been, you know, the, the fund they're doing, for example, you know, the, they create a fund for people to donate to to help students in need, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a way to tangibly show your desire to help people in a very tangible way. And that's awesome, man. And, and, and that video that just, and, and they actually have a, USC has a, a YouTube page because they took uh, the videos that people made. They only put little snippets in the overarching video. And then they also included those larger snippets. And there's some, there's some really great ones. So people made some really funny ones. People took it all different ways. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a cool, it's cool. Yeah, no, I def- I've seen a few of them out there. So there's definitely a lot going on. But I think for sure, I think everyone at USC wants to be back. So it's definitely creating everyone's just getting together, you know, virtually as one, you know, university community for sure. Which yeah. Is awesome. And that's awesome, man. I mean, think about how cool that actually is. Right. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And I definitely think too, with, you know, we have maxi house, the IB program, but we're definitely a very out of state school, which makes it unique as well, where we have students from all over the U S and the world. And, you know, everyone just wants to be back, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I spoke with one of my, um, exchange students the other day right before she went back to her uh, country and um you know even though it was we spoke via zoom but even then you know she was actually um, a great student she's very smart uh, and she was in tears saying that she really is sad to be leaving usc because she wished that she could stay kind of a thing you know so yeah but, uh, and i said well I'll come back for your master's degree right that, that's easy so you know hopefully, yeah. hopefully we'll see her again let's put it that way yeah <laughs> A lot of, I know a lot of uh, international students this semester, and it, it is unfortunate when they, everything gets cut short. But I do want to thank you so much, Dr. Ostergaard, for coming on and giving your whole outlook on this whole situation and just seeing what your response has been. And also, to I think, your students' response as well, because without them and their involvement as well and willingness to partake in all the awesome events you're doing, it, I don't think, you know, it wouldn't be able to happen. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was, this was awesome. But again, to our listeners out there, thank you again for tuning in. And I know the audio, the audio today, Dr. Ostergaard, your audio is perfect. I don't know what you're using over there, but your audio uh, is great. A, a blue microphone, man. These things are great. So, hey, can I just put one more plug in? Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, so it's not just uh, me, of course. I, I, 
Elena Wells is a master of international business student. She's my uh, grad assistant this semester. Mm-hmm. She's the deputy for all of our outreach programs, and she has been remarkable. I, there's actually a, a team of students. It's myself as faculty, and I've got five or six uh, undergrad uh, in, interns, and they have been the ones who have really been driving a lot of this stuff for us. So yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't recognize them and say really publicly thank you to all of them, especially Elena Wells, uh, for their work in pulling this whole together for us. So, Matt, thanks a lot for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Osgard. And for those of you out there, again, Thank you for listening and definitely follow us on Instagram as well. And we'll see you guys next week. This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org.